But I don't know about you this morning, but as we've been journeying through the Sermon of the Mounts, man, it's been challenging. It's been really, really tough, um, particularly for me as I've had to now sit down and prepare sermons and unpack it. I've just realized how inadequate I am to what God has called me to. As we, as we talk about being poor in spirit, man, I just realized there was so much more pride in me than I had thought. When we came to mourning, I realized there was sin in my life in which I had not mourned, in which I had not really repented from. The, the injustices of the world were taking place, which my heart was hardened towards. I mean, meekness, meekness took me out. Really, it was one of the, the toughest ones for me as I just realized that I cared so much more about Joey and his kingdom than the kingdom of God. That there was a, a sense as well that I had hunger and thirst for righteousness, but the vast majority of areas in my life in which I wasn't. That being merciful, man, I can do it, but only when it suits me best, right? That, that we are called to have a pure heart. And, and as I started to realize, my heart is far from pure, just wondering, Lord, is this even achievable for me? And many of you be peacemakers. Oh, man, that is difficult. That is a hard call to do. And persecution, well, no one really wants to be persecuted, so that was tough to, to swallow as well. And as, as I've done this, I just started to feel convicted. And if that's you this morning, that you have been convicted of your sin as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount or, or in any area, I want to say, man, that's a good thing. And the reason why I say it's a good thing, church, is because sin, and the Christ deals with these things and teaches the Sermon on the Mount so that we can deal with the sin and be follow him, is because sin is the primary hurdle that stops us from having an intimate relationship with Christ. It is something that is big and massive that stops us from knowing Christ and knowing him well. For those of you who don't know Jesus, this is the issue that needs to be dealt with. It is the reason why you cannot know God and are not right with him is the sin in your life. But the gospel that we preach this morning, what we sang about a lot today, is that Christ came and has died for your sin. He has come to buy your pardon, as we sang. And as a result, if you just simply believe in him and repent from your sin, that sin is taken away. So now that you can know him. But the same for us that have committed to Christ, who are followers, who are pursuing him. Sin is still a major issue in which we need to deal with. It's still something that creeps into our lives in which we do, we all do. We can, we have a bunch of sinners sitting here this morning is that sin hinders our relationship with Jesus. Hear me, it doesn't break it off. It's, but it hinders it. It stops the intimacy that we have with him. And so therefore, I can boldly stand here this morning and say about 95% of the time, if your relationship with Christ is dry, if it's boring, if it just feels like it's non-existent, not intimate, it's probably because of sin in your life. And therefore, we need to seek that out. And so to be convicted is a good thing because it means you've noticed what the problem is. It's the Holy Spirit. It is God himself intimately speaking into your life going, man, I want you to deal with this. Can we deal with this? Because then I can know you more. I can, you can experience my love that we've been speaking about this morning more. You can experience the intimacy that I want to have with you. Let's deal with this sin. But when we convicted, there are two major ways in which we can respond to this. The first way is that we can experience this conviction. Conviction isn't nice, right? It's not a nice feeling, but it is something that's necessary. We understand a light bulb goes off in our heads. This is something that needs to be dealt with, and we do. 
We come before Jesus as our loving Savior who has died for us. And then we come and we say, Lord, forgive me. This is what I've done. I've messed up before you. And I pray that you forgive me of my sin. Would you empower me with your spirits that I might be able to fight this, that I might be able to not do this again. Help me with this habitual sin if it is. Help me to make sure I don't do this. Give me the self-control I need. And then we rest in the fact that God has forgiven us. And man, it's a struggle. It's a fight but we get to enjoy this love and know that we are forgiven because Christ has forgiven us. The other way is what I fear is too often something that we do, is that we sin, we mess up, we, which again is normal for all of us to do, and often what we find, or not often, what, sometimes what we find is we do things that we thought we would never do, Right? We come bold and say, I would never do that. But because we are so confident in ourselves that we will never do that, we often let our guards down in that area. And the enemy gets us in there, and we sin, and we mess up. And in those moments of sin, we feel conviction, but we allow that to become a real strong sense of shame. And because we become ashamed of our sin, instead of running to God, what we do, we run away. It's our natural reaction is not running to God who is holy, but running away from God because we feel ashamed of the sin that we have done. We see this in Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They run and hide because they're ashamed of their nakedness. They hide away and that's what we do. And may I suggest to you that it is because we hide and keep our shame, it is one of the primary hurdles that stops us from having an intimacy relationship with God. It is a hurdle, it's an obstacle in our way that needs to be dealt with so that we might know this Jesus more and more. You get me? You following me here? Okay, great. We're going to read John chapter 4. We're going to read like 30 odd verses. I know it's quite long, but I know you can do it. I believe in you. You can follow along. It'd be great if you have your Bible because I'm not the best reader under the sun. So, um, But if you don't, listen carefully. so we're going to be reading verses four, uh, ch- ch- sorry, chapter four, all the way to verse uh, thirty, and then from verse thirty-one to thirty-eight, we're going to skip, not because it's not important, just because we we're not going to be, um, it's just not what we want to deal with this uh, morning. And in verses thirty-nine to forty-two, let us read. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making deci- uh, was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Just take note of that. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon, lunchtime. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Uh, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asking uh, for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "If uh, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, "Give me a drink." You would have asked him, and you would have uh, have given, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, "Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
he gave you, uh, gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons uh, and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never th- be thirsty again. The water that I give uh, him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one uh, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, so I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the, uh, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what uh, you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But in the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us. Jesus said, I am, I, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why do you uh, talk with her? So the woman left uh, her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. We skip verses 31 to 38. Back to 39, it says this, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told uh, me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to say, stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believed. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Great, well done. We're going to stop there. So, man, this, this text is packed with so much stuff that we could uh, teach on. We could do a series alone just on this uh, chapter. Um, but this morning, the emphasis of really this passage is found in verses 26 and verses 42. It says it talks about Jesus being the Savior of the world. That's really the thrust of it all. And everything that happens is there to prove the fact that Jesus is Savior of the world. But there are a couple of cultural oddities that take place in this text. Verse 4, the one I told you just to take notes of, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, Jesus didn't have to technically go through Samaria. There are two ways to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, in which the trip that Jesus was doing. You could head up north straight through Samaria and go into the city Sychra, um, which we find the story taken. It was the quick, a quickest journey, and you could head all the way through to Galilee from there. But Jews never ever, ever went through Samaria. They absolutely despised the Samaritans. In fact, even scripture goes on to say they had no dealings with them. They did not like them whatsoever. Majority of Jews, actually 
nearly every single Jew would always take the long journey to skip the majority of Samaria to go around so they didn't have to see them, didn't have to be in their company just to walk all the way around. And Jews always did that. But here we see Jesus going through Samaria, going straight into um, a, a cultural oddity, a cultural uh, a stigma not to go in there. Here is a Jesus, the Jew, with his 12 Jewish disciples heading straight in there. Not given any reason why he's going. He's just going straight in there. And he does that because he has an appointment. Why? Because he is Savior of the world. And Jesus heads in there to meet a woman who he has an appointment with. Now let's chat about this woman for a bit. She's at the well at the wrong time of the day. It's 12 o'clock. It's hot. For those of you who've had the privilege to go to the Middle East or to go uh, to Jerusalem, one of the things that you will still see commonly practiced is that women gather together um, and they will gather in the morning with all their buckets, with all their jugs, with everything that can carry water, and they do so in the coolness of the morning and they head down, head down to the well like a herd, just like a bunch of them, just heading off down to the well. Um, and during this time, as they get there, they will chat, just have normal skinner and gossip. They will chat about their husbands, about their kids, what's happening in the day, and they would just do that for the whole morning and then they would leave in the coolness of the day with their jugs to get done the rest of the work before it gets hot. But here we find this woman at 12 o'clock in the day, in the heat of the day at the well, because she's trying to avoid this, com- this community of this group, this cultural activity that takes place amongst the women. She's trying to avoid it. Why? Well, Scripture tells us why. Scripture tells us that she had five husbands and the current husband that she was with um, was not a husband. Now that, for us, seems like a couple of episodes of keeping up with the Kardashians. Um, but in her day, this could get her killed. This was something serious. And we don't, we don't know why this has, has taken place. Um, it could be that uh, her five husbands have, uh, have all died and the current husband isn't willing to commit to her because he knows what happened to the last five. Um, it could be because uh, she... and. She was very promiscuous. She's had an affair on all of them. The current guy she's with is the reason why she isn't with her last husband. But whatever it might be, whatever the case might be, it is a huge mark of shame for her. It is something that has eaten her up inside and has controlled her life. It is something that she has used health and vitality and energy in to work out a strategy that she does not have to go to the well with the other woman. She has figured out that she can avoid all others in that she can go at at the heat of the day, 12 o'clock, knowing that no one else would be crazy enough to be there. And so she heads off to the well at that time. And she does this on this particular day, hoping that no one or should that no one else would be there. But she doesn't know that the Savior of the world, Jesus, is waiting for her. And to her shock and horror, I'm sure she gets there. And as she gets there, there's this Jesus and they have this conversation and he asks for water and this whole conversation takes place. And eventually he says to her, if you knew who could give you a water that you would not have to drink again, you would, you would never thirst again. If you knew who I was, I could give you that. And man, she, she starts to go, yeah, give me that water. Give me this water because that means I never, ever have to come back here again. You hear what she's saying? 
Do you hear? She's saying, man, I'm weary of all the this stuff that I have to do in order to avoid the others. I'm weary of having to come here in the heat of the day to carry. I'm weary of the sin and the shame that I'm carrying and I'm bearing. I just don't want to have to see anyone. If I never have to thirst again, I never have to do this. So please give me something to drink. Desperately wanting to avoid everything here. And what does Jesus say to her? Like, I mean, if you wanted to win souls this morning, can we agree that what Jesus' next words aren't the way to go ahead and do it? What does he say? Go get your husband. Go get your husband. Doesn't that sound a bit cruel to you? Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, I know. You've had five, and the current one you're with is not your husband. What's going on here? Jesus is going after the space that only he can heal. Let me say that again. Jesus is going after the space that only he can heal. Man, this woman is here at the heat of the day because she's trying to avoid everyone else. And you know what? She's been wildly successful at it, hasn't she? Man, she, she's trying to avoid the whispers, the laughter, the pointing, the skinnering, the, the, the shunning that she's obviously for, whether it's been real or just perceived. To her, she's been successful at avoiding what she wants to avoid. But may I point out to you this morning that though she's been very, very successful at it, the issue and the wound is still there. You see that? She's still hurting. She's still needing to, to have this healed. It still controls every aspect of her life. She is enslaved to this, that it controls every area of her life. The way she thinks, the way she does her normal daily routine is changed because of this heavy burden that she carries. And Jesus being rich in love, we've spoken about this this morning, and I want this to be the emphasis. Jesus being rich in love, who loves this woman dearly, which no one else is doing, by the way. He loves her dearly, is going after this tender, heart, hurt, this guilt-ridden, shame-filled space that she doesn't want anyone else to touch, but he's going after it because he wants to heal it. Because it's only in the touch of Christ that it is healed. And church, often we carry around us sin. We carry around us shame. And one of the primary hurdles that stops us having an intimate relationship with Christ is that we hide. We don't want him to touch it. We don't want him to know about it. So what do we do? We, we avoid meetings like this. We avoid reading our Bibles. We avoid doing anything that's got to do with God because it constantly reminds us of the fact that we have the sin and the shame. And it stops us being the definition of what a Christian is, being a follower of Christ, pursuing him wholeheartedly because of this thing that we carry. And we don't want to let him know about it. But you know what the crazy thing about this text is? That when Jesus says to her, go get your husband, he's not caught aware, unaware of what, what's going on. Man, he knows already what's happening in her life, doesn't he? Go get your husband. I don't have one. I know you've had five and the one you're not with. And so often we hide these things trying to avoid this conversation with God of the sin that we carry, thinking that if we don't talk about it, if we don't say anything, maybe then it will just over time disappear and heal up, but it never does. We need to come to Christ. 
and come to him, to his loving hands, who want to deal with this thing. And this is what happens. This woman, Jesus, lures her out. She doesn't want to talk about the sin and the shame, and he lures her out of it. And you don't deal with this amount of emotion and baggage without there being crying. Now, the text doesn't say it, but we can just assume there's crying taking place here. And as these feelings start to happen in her, what happens? Man, she runs up into her mind, doesn't she? <laughs> Go call your husband. I don't have one. No, you're right. You've had five and the one you're not with. I perceive you are a prophet, sir. One, some say, we say you should worship on this mountain. You should say we worship on this mountain. But which mountain should we worship on? Let's change the topic. Let's, let's be intellectual for now because we don't want to deal with emotions. And this is an indictment on us. Man, when the feelings get real, oh, we don't like feelings. Oh, feelings are bad. And so what do we do is we run up into our mind. Oh, oh what's your perspective and view on predestination? What do you like? What do you think? And so, well, let's get to the topic that's controversial here so that we can get away from the feelings. We don't like feelings. And we run up into our mind because, you know what, being transparent might be cool, but being vulnerable, man, we don't like to be vulnerable. And we lack that vulnerability with Christ. But Jesus is great, yeah? He entertains her. He answers her question. He says, ah, it's neither this mountain this mountain, but one day we'll worship in spirit and truth. And she hears that answer. She doesn't really like it. So she says, ah, but the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will reveal to us everything. And Jesus looks at the chessboard, moves it and goes, checkmate. I am he. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And man, the, the disciples come back from shopping. And he has Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. Remember, don't do Samaritans. Definitely don't do Samaritan women. We don't speak to them. And he has Jesus. They, they're very awkward. There's a, a deep conversation that's taking a place about emotions and feelings. They're very awkward. They don't even say anything. They're too scared to ask what's going on. And the con- conversation ends. And what do they do? They run straight. She runs straight into town. Remember, she's, she's been avoiding everyone because of this baggage that she carries. What does she do? She runs straight back into town. What does she say? Come see the man. Come see the man. What's her past? Men. People are worried when they hear this. Come see the man. Oh no, what's happened now? But she said, come see the man. He told me everything that I've ever done. She's bold. She's empowered. She's, she's had a meeting with the Savior Jesus that's dealt with stuff. And she runs into town. Come see this man. And they come out and they initially believe because of her testimony. But after some time, they realize themselves, this man that she has met, now they have met, is the savior of the world. Now we can come to this text and there's two ways in which we can read it. We can read it impersonally and we can read it personally. I think too often, the majority of us read the Bible impersonally. We read like a newspaper, it's a bunch of facts. We get there and we get our journal out, we open it up with our Bible nice, we've got a nice cup of coffee right there, just in case we want to take an Instagram photo later, and uh, the nice hashtag, and we get it all ready, and uh, we, we have our, our pen with John uh, 3.16 written on it, and we start writing in our journal. And we get there, and we, we start writing down facts. Jesus, the revolutionary, it comes against counterculture. Yeah, I like that. That sounds good. Write that down. I'll hashtag that later. And then, man, I... 
that Jesus, Jesus who heals the brokenhearted. Oh, man, love that. That's fantastic. Oh, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Oh, man, that's fantastic again. Jesus doesn't care what other people think. He just saves the lost. Oh, man, that's great. And we write down these truths. And they are. They're, they're truths and they're biblical, but they're super impersonal. I think well, this is the reason why some of our, our, our Bible reading is sometimes a bit boring. is because we never apply it to ourselves. We, we finish that. We got a great photo for it now. Everyone thinks we're fantastically godly. And we close our books and we put it away. And at the end of it, we go away and we never think about it again. But the reality here is that we need to read this personally. And I hope you follow me here. Is that when we come to this text, we need to realize that the person in the story who we represent is the woman. Man, we, we carry some sin and some baggage. We all do. And, and Jesus is saying to us as we read this, go get your husband. Not literally, but he's saying, go find, go get that thing that you're hiding from me. That sin and that shame that's stopping us from knowing me personally. That's stopping you from realizing that I'm the Savior of the world. That's stopping you from re- realizing the joys that I have for you. To stopping you from experiencing the love that I want you to experience. Jesus, in his loving nature, in his joy and love for you, his, his soft hands want to deal with the issue that you keep on hiding. That maybe nobody else knows about it in this room. That no, there's a sin that you've got that you just are too ashamed to deal with. Maybe not too ashamed, but there's sin there that Jesus is going, let's deal with this. And we need to let him do it. Man, Jesus came to me when I was 14 years old. And he said to me, go get your husband. Not literally again, but I was on a summer camp. Just before the summer camp, I had been dealing with some serious, serious sin in my life. I had... Uh, I felt convicted. I felt heavy. But regardless of what I had done, I just never felt that I was good enough and I could do anything. It, it affected my relationship with God. It affected my day. It affected the way I conducted myself. I was so ashamed of my sin that I, I, could not, I couldn't approach my family. Man, my, my father... Um, it was my grandfather. I, I couldn't approach him. He was this godly figure in which I, I loved and adored, but I just felt that I would disappoint him. And sometimes I think our relationship with God's like that. We, we just, as our loving father in which we've spoken about, we've messed up and we just don't want to disappoint him. So we keep quiet about it, hoping that again, over time, it will heal and disappear, but it won't. And I remember standing in our, just outside our garage, my grandfather had a bucky back then. We were heading off to PE to go to summer camp with my cousins. And I remember seeing him and just bursting inside. This heaviness upon me of just wanting to tell him, but too afraid to do it. Fear is often a big part of this. So afraid to say anything. And so I never. And we went off to summer camp and I uh, got there. It was fantastic. I was already Christian by this time, by the way. And we got there. It was fantastic. Um, I had a really good time with my, my cousins. And I remember one night, the guest speaker, Michael Mole was our guest speaker. Uh, he uh, gave an altar call. And the guy next to me, Tim, who was uh, on the church that I went with, he got up to go give his life to Jesus. So I thought, man, this is my opportunity. I can tell someone about this. So I hop up as well. And my cousins turned to me and go, well, Joey, where are you going? Now, again, too ashamed to say anything. I said, no, I'm just making sure Tim finds someone to tell about Jesus. 
They bought that, so that worked really well. And I went outside, and I don't even know where Tim went. <laughs> even if Tim found someone, I don't know. I just I went to go find someone myself, and I found this biggish dude with massive dreadlocks. It was pretty cool. And I, and I sat down with him, and I just, as I started to share, just the floodgates opened. And I burst into tears, and, and, and I just told, I don't know what he said to me. I don't know what he did. I, I just remember we prayed. I don't know how long we did, but there was some point which I think we closed off with prayer. And I remember going away feeling like the world was off my shoulders because the loving hand of Christ wanted to deal with this for so long, but I had hid and avoided. And finally I had come and opened up my heart so that the loving hand can come and touch it and deal with this sore heart, guilt-ridden, shame-filled heart. And he did. And the peace that comes over you, church, is beyond description. To know that I was right with him, to know that everything was there, and the intimate relationship with God that I had been lacking for months and months started to build. And it was from this I would go back to summer camp, just feeling light. I come back from it, and I go back to my church, and man, they had a testimony time for for what had happened in the holidays for their summer camp that they went on to, I had not planned on sharing anything. And I'd got up to eventually share right at the end on anyone else want to say anything kind of stuff. And I thought the Lord prompt me, convict me to go say and share my story. And I did. And lives there were impacted as a result. And as a result, from that day, I forgot to ministry. I was emboldened because of the, the, the impact that had happened on summer camp. I had, I had a boldness and a courage that I hadn't had before. I had this new vigor and mission to go and tell people about Jesus so that I could run into that city and say, come see the man. Come see this man who told me of everything I had ever done. And church, there are so many of us who are carrying unnecessary burdens. But there is a rest in Christ that's available to you. Man, you are hiding unnecessarily. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the sin in your life. He knows what you're carrying. And your inability to be able to let that go infects your intimacy that he desperately wants with you. And we don't have to be ashamed. This is the reason why he came and died. So that he might deal with this all, so that we might know him. And out of love, he wants to reach in and deal with it. He really does. Man, just know that this loving hand of God has come to heal the brokenhearted. He has. And if you've got a broken heart this morning, he wants to deal with it. You can come before him with anything and know that he wants to do it out of love. And so my challenge for you this morning is this. Man, we can head out this morning. We can... I can close this prayer, we can go have some coffee and we can chat about the soccer or the tennis or the rugby of yesterday, whatever sport, man, there's so much sport going on. You can chat about whatever you want to at the end of this and we can forget about this and we can carry on hiding and it can affect all our lives. But I, my challenge for you this morning is if you are dealing with something, come, let's deal with it. Come to Christ. Man, his loving arms are open. Come to me, all you heavy and, uh, who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It's a promise. Come and get it. Matt and I will be here afterwards and we want to pray with you. But don't, don't, don't run away without dealing with anything that needs to be dealt with. There's a peace and a rest that is waiting for you in Jesus. Because he loves you and he loves you lots. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you so much that even at our worst, you loved us. This is the gospel, right? That, Lord, when we were at our worst, at our worst, when we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, as Romans uh, 5 says, that you showed us your love and that you would die for us. And so, Lord, we, we know as we sung today, for those of us who have committed our, our lives to you, we know that we are your children and that you are a loving Father in heaven and that we can approach you with anything and you want to deal with this. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. We pray, Lord, that I pray for those that are carrying heavy, heavy burdens this morning, whether it be sin or something else. I just pray, Lord, that you would meet them right where they're at. That, Lord, they will have the boldness to come to you and be open, vulnerable to you, speak to you openly. I pray, Lord, that they would experience the love, the peace that I experienced when I was 14, the peace that this lady has, the courage, the boldness. And I pray, Lord, for those who do, that you would embolden them to run into the city and say, come see the man. That you would help them to live in the purpose that you have, because now they can be intimate and follow you as much as you desire them to. Help us, Lord. We're sinful, but help us to know that your love for us far outweighs our sin. Help us to deal with this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who don't want prayer for anything, you can come for anything. Uh, but there's coffee outside afterwards. Enjoy. <laughs>